0: Good evening, and welcome to Mystery for another exciting adventure of Sherlock Holmes. I'm Vincent Price. Owing to the nature of his profession, Holmes had frequent contact with the police forces of the world. Watson tells us that he had a number of favorite pranks that he liked to pull on the official detectives that he was sometimes forced to work with. One was deliberately pointing out clues but neglecting to explain their significance. Holmes's favorite dupe at Scotland Yard was Inspector Lestrade, who took a patronizing attitude towards Holmes's methods, but nonetheless consulted the great detective in a number of cases, including tonight's adventure of the Norwood Builder. We tend to take fingerprinting for granted, But in the 1880s, when tonight's story takes place, fingerprinting as a means of criminal detection was still in its infancy, and looked upon by many with great skepticism. The accepted method of criminal identification in Holmes's time was the Bertillon system, which consisted of a series of body measurements. It was not until 1900 that fingerprinting became the official criminal identification system in britain and even then the british police were among the first forces to employ it at the uh, end of tonight's episode watson says of his friend his work is his own reward and holmes himself often repeated that he worked rather for the love of his art than for the acquirement of wealth my professional charges are upon a fixed scale, Holmes once told a client. I do not vary them, save when I remit them altogether. He was able to be so generous on occasion because a few of his cases did yield rather high fees. Rewards of 1,000 pounds were offered for the return of the missing piece of the Beryl coronet and for the countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle, and Holmes received the same amount in expense money from the king of Bohemia for taking care of his scandal. I think that we can safely say he managed.
1: Hello, and welcome to the LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast, a story by story review of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series produced by Granada Television between 1984 and 1994. I'm your new host, Kathy Bright, some call me the MVP. Joining me on this adventure through Sherlock Holmes is Jared, the yard sale artist, Albrecht.
2: Hello, Jared. Hi, Kathy. I have brought with me uh, my will that I've scratched down on this envelope, and I just need you to take this scratchy envelope will and like make it proper. I'll wait while you do that. Okay. You done yet? I'm
1: done. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Got, I, I got you.
2: Guess what? I left you everything in the will.
1: Oh, that's so sweet of you. Yeah,
2: me and your mother used to be an item back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, she uh,
1: she was a hottie. Not and, gonna
2: lie. You don't have to tell me. I was there. And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, this will all make sense if you guys just stay tuned.
1: <laughs> Do you want to know what I brought you? Absolutely. I brought you a brand new walking stick.
2: Oh, thank you. I've been looking. I lost my other one. <laughs> So, this is gonna come in handy. Plus, I hurt my hip. <laughs> With all of our shenanigans and Tom Fleury out of the way, let's get to Kathy for the synopsis of the Norwood Builder.
1: An unhappy John Hector McFarlane. Arrived at 221B seeking the help of Sherlock Holmes. The young, most unfortunate clerk is about to be arrested for murdering Mr. Jonas Oldacre with his walking stick before burning his body in a fire. We learn that the day of the murder, Oldacre visited McFarlane and explained that he intended to bequeath his entire fortune to him. He then summoned McFarlane to his Norwood home to review financial documents. The next morning, the clerk's blood soaked walking stick was found at Oldacre's home leading Inspector Lestrade to arrest McFarlane as the murderer once he arrived at 221B. Holmes and Watson begin their investigation with McFarlane's mother, who they discover was once engaged to Oldacre but broke off the engagement when she learned of his truly dark nature. Later in the day, Inspector Lestrade is delighted by the fact he has found buttons belonging to the victim in the remnants of the fire. Watson has discovered that the late Norwood Builder, has transferred the better part of his money to a man named Cornelius. The day after, Lestrade triumphs. McFarlane's blood-soaked thumbprint has been found at the scene of the crime. Holmes, knowing that it was not there the day before, searches the house and discovers a hidden room, and with the help of three constables, sets a trap for the occupant. They set fire to a small pile of straw and yell, FIRE! fire! when suddenly, Oldacre appears. To elude his creditors, and take revenge for Miss McFarland's rejection, Oldacre devised a plan. He moved all of his money to the bank account that was discovered by Watson under the fictitious name of Mr. Cornelius and staged his own murder. The body that he used to delude the police was that of a vagrant that Oldacre killed, dressed in his own clothes, and threw into the fire. The final part of the plan was using McFarland's thumbprint to be sure he would be proven guilty of murder.
2: All right. With that, it is now time to get into our highs and lows of this episode. We're going to talk a little Norwood Builder. We're going to talk highs. We're going to talk lows. We are going to start with Kathy, the MVP, round one. So we're going to kick it to Kathy. What do you got on this? Highs, lows? What the? What do you got in round one? It's
1: kind of all of the above. I like dejected Holmes when he thinks that he can't solve this case. Like, he is truly, he looks defeated. It makes him seem more human. It makes him seem like one of us instead of the superhuman Sherlock Holmes.
2: He definitely has that bee-in-his-bonnet vibe because he his gut is telling him and he just can't quite figure it out. And that's the most frustrating thing for him, clearly. Right.
1: When he's all disheveled and sitting in there when, when Watson comes in later after he's been visiting with the vagrant and he comes in and he just looks so defeated. Cause I feel like he's like, I can't figure this out.
2: And defeated is a good word too, because this one more so than anyone we've watched before is really him in competition with Lestrade.
1: Yes. That was going to be probably a pseudo high because I love seeing the competition between those two.
2: Oh, it was very, and I, you know what? I'll roll that into my hide. I thought it was sure. a really delicious scene when Lestrade shows up to arrest the guy, and Holmes basically has to manipulate Lestrade into giving him 30 minutes just to hear the story.
1: Exactly. And the look on Holmes' face when he realizes that he's not leaving, he literally rolls his eyes. <laughs> you wouldn't think Sherlock would be eye roller, but he does. And he's like, Really? You're going to stay for this? Fine.
2: <laughs> Of course, by your leave. If it's okay with you. With your permission. Like, he's laying it on thick to make Lestrade feel like he's in charge because he just wants to hear that story. So yeah, that was very, very cool. I couldn't get enough of was Holmes's clear disdain for that housekeeper lady. (laughs) And her clear disdain for Holmes. Like, she's like, so you're not leaving then? No, I think I'd stay a couple more days. And like, He realized so quickly that she was lying to him and he did that perfect Jeremy Brett, like dismissal hand gesture. Like I got no more. time. Absolutely.
1: But here's the question. Did she like anyone?
2: I think she only liked her boss.
1: I don't even know if that's the case because when McFarland walks in, he says, I can't remember the exact wording he used, but he's, he said the feeling in the home was unwelcoming.
2: Eh, Something like that. Yeah. Something to that. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I don't, she was not a very good hostess.
2: No. Not a very she was not a good, gre- good person. Well, she,
1: would, she would not do very well as a Walmart
2: greeter. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, she was terrible. But let's get into some more highs. Talk to me a little bit, Kathy, about how you felt when it had clearly clicked for Holmes and he started asking for buckets of water and hay and that kind of stuff. How did you feel about that? Like near the end?
1: I guess I was pretty much like Lestrade. What is he doing? What is he up to? What has he figured out that I haven't figured out yet? And not that Lestrade looked nervous, but he looked just as confused as I was.
2: Absolutely. I think that is a real strength of this episode because I had forgotten how it ended from the short story. I'd forgotten how it ended from the first time I watched this episode, which is probably about two years ago now. So I'm sitting there scratching my head too. Like, what's, what the, and then, he, you know, he puts the the water, which causes the smoke, and then out comes. The grumpy old dude from his <laughs> hidey hole. And you're like, what? the <laughs> like, what a, I just think it has a great.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I will make note that both of these episodes are very, very close to the short story. Because I think I mentioned last time that I do read the short stories before I watch the episodes. So they're pretty identical.
2: Awesome. That's good to know. Yeah, I, it's been years and years and years since I read those. And I'm glad you're doing that kind of carrying on Gene's work. He'd always read the short story as well. <laughs>
1: Well, that's why I'm, I'm appreciative of being able to do this show, because for the past four or five years, I have been looking forward to, I'm like, I really want to read all these Sherlock Holmes, because I've watched so many different types of Sherlock Holmes over these years, and I'm like, I've never read the stories. So this gave me the push off the ledge that I needed <laughs> to read all the stories.
2: If you got pushed off the ledge, the only thing I can say is... <laughs> but, but, anyways, yeah, I think it was a very exciting episode overall. I like the roller coaster of emotion it took, like you mentioned with Holmes himself, like that. I know there's something going on here. A very cool deduction. I made a kind of a joke earlier about my scratchy will, but kind of a cool deduction when he showed it to Watson. He was like, scratchy handwriting, good handwriting. Scratchy, he's like, he's writing it on the train.
1: I like, As- I liked that reveal
2: a lot. Yeah, as if it's not even important. And that was really the biggest clue. Like, he's going through all this, but this document is not important. So what's his game here? Very clever. And I love the way when he was busted and Lestrade busted that dude, he tried to play it off like, for a joke, for a practical joke. Like, dude, you burned a homeless man alive. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a practical joke. He
1: said, said, I didn't hurt anyone and... Lestrade is like, you were about to have this man hung for a murder that he didn't commit.
2: And then what did, he, what did he tell Holmes as they were carting him away? You remember? He told Holmes, I'll see you hung. And Holmes was like, I believe that pleasure will be all mine, So <laughs> I was like, oh my. Oh my. So this one, yeah, it had a lot of that roller coaster motion. I also like um, how Watson got involved, being the paperwork guy.
1: Yeah, but as we've discussed, I, I have a soft spot for Watson.
2: Oh, He's absolutely charming. So anything else to talk about for the Norwood builder?
1: Uh, the only other thing is I really do like how every episode they're trying to show the progression of Watson learning the tricks of the trade from Holmes. Like there's little nuggets usually at the beginning of the episode with Watson going through the same steps. When he was talking about he's a Mason and an asthmatic and he was explaining to the guy, how Holmes did it versus Holmes having to explain how he did it.
2: Yeah, that was really cool. I like that moment as well. Yeah, lots of good little character stuff in this one, a good mystery, an exciting conclusion. There might be some good scores coming up on that. And speaking of scores, I got to hand it back to you, Kath.
1: All right, Jared. So, what did we think of this episode? Well, guess what? We have a rating system to help us figure that out. No. On a scale of one to five pipes, five. You loved it. It solved your mystery. Aha! Four. It was really good.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Three. It was all right. Mm-hmm. Two. You did not like it.
2: Mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: Number one. You hated it. It threw you off of Rock and Bach Falls. Mm. So, Jared, what do you think? How would you rate this story?
2: I liked this one a ton. It had a good roller coaster of emotion. With Holmes, it had that him versus Lestrade thing. It had a good involvement of Watson. That housekeeper lady was just adorably awful. And (laughs) it just had a lot going for it. I love the wrap up. I'm going full five on this one. I really enjoyed the Norwood Builder quite a bit. Wow. How about you, Kathy?
1: I just might have to agree with you. I was thinking of a four. And because of all that we've talked about with the Holmes and Lestrade, the story itself, it was a good murder mystery. I think I'll go with a five as well.
2: I like it. I know you were thinking four point five earlier. You had your Joe November cap on. I think that the was. point five is worth it just for her to see Holmes in the the hobo makeup, the tramp makeup. You know, he
1: like, looked. I thought he looked really good. Like he to me, he looked. I guess because he looked more normal. But I like the disheveled
2: Holmes look. I did. So you are attracted to homeless Holmes. <laughs>
1: Maybe a little
2: bit. Well, there you have it, folks. That's a strong episode. We both really enjoyed the Norwood Builder. And as usual, there is more.
0: Good evening, and welcome to another exciting adventure of Sherlock Holmes tonight on Mystery. I'm Vincent Price. Somerset "Mom." himself a loyal fan of the world's first consulting detective, once complained that you know no more of Sherlock Holmes after you have read 50 stories than you did after reading one. Conan Doyle did not tell us too much about the inner Holmes, but he does have Watson comment rather often on what he called the dual nature of Holmes's personality. When Holmes was not involved in an adventure, Watson tells us he would lie upon the sofa for days on end, hardly uttering a word or moving a muscle from morning to night. It was during these moods that the great detective turned to his famous seven percent solution of cocaine for stimulation. Then, as a reaction to the drug, he would be consumed by an even blacker depression from which he could only be rescued by a new case. At work again, his mood and behavior rapidly changed, and he was seized with what Watson called an animal lust for the chase. This dual nature of his has been a clear indication to many home scholars that the man was a, a mild manic depressive, though that term was not in general use in the late 1880s. In fact, the whole range of mental disorders was just beginning to be closely examined by psychiatric pioneers, like the young doctor in tonight's episode, The Adventure of the Resident Patient.
2: For our second episode this evening, we're going to be talking about The Resident Patient. Again, if you're not familiar with the story, you might get the ending spoiled, and I'm going to give us a synopsis that goes a little something like this. As they return to Baker Street, Holmes and Watson find Dr. Percy Trevelyan, in the living room. Trevelyan explains that two years ago, while he was desperately short of money, a rich man by the name of Blessington came and proposed to him an offer he could not refuse. He offered to settle the talented but poor doctor in luxurious lodgings and access to the prestigious surgeries. In exchange, the doctor would accommodate him, watch over his health, and give him three quarters of his earnings. The agreement worked perfectly, Until the day, Blessington was driven mad with terror by the news of a burglary. He had returned to his usual self when two so-called Russians, who supposedly came to consult with Trevelyan, managed to sneak into the resident's bedroom. When he discovered the intrusion, he burst into tears and begged Trevelyan to go fetch Sherlock Holmes, who is his last hope. Holmes rushed to the Blessingtons, but the man claims to have no knowledge of the two intruders or their motives. Holmes is so exasperated by the blatant lie that he abruptly leaves this would-be client. The next morning, a telegram calls him back to the Blessington house. The resident patient has been found hung in his bedroom. Holmes concludes from a close examination of the room that the dead man has not committed suicide. Three men were present in the bedroom. These men appear to have tried Blessington and sentenced him to death for a crime which Holmes discovers in an old newspaper cutting. Some 15 years ago, Blessington, whose real name is Sutton, had robbed Worthington Bank with the help of four other burglars. Sutton made a deal, and he sold out his accomplices to the police. One of them, guilty of murder, was hanged. The others were sentenced to 15 years imprisonment. Once they were released, they took their revenge on the traitor. Holmes fails in his attempt to have them arrested, but later we learn they all died in the sinking of the Nora Creena. Right. There you have it.
1: Bravo. Good job, Jared.
2: I do what I can do when I can do it.
1: (laughs) Now it's time for some highs and lows, where we each take a look at the good, the bad of the episode. Jared, what are your thoughts on this episode?
2: I want to get my lows out of the way first, because I like this one quite a bit, but there's a couple lows in it that I just want to get off the, the board. I was not a big fan of the nightmare opening. To me, this whole episode really felt like And there's going to be a few of these to come, Kathy. They were really trying to pad it and fit it into the 50-minute TV schedule. Because that long, drawn-out nightmare thing at the beginning, I don't think was necessary. You'd know better than me whether or not that was in the short story. I suspect it wasn't. And then at the end, it felt padded to me because they did a pretty drawn-out, although entertaining and amusing scene with Holmes and Watson discussing what the title of this particular entry should be for Watson's writings. And that was amusing, and it was welcome and funny, but it really felt like they kind of finished the episode and was like, "Oh crap, we got like three minutes, we got to fill time," and so they kind of, kind of broadened that out and drug it out a little. I liked it though. The first part though, I didn't like as much. The is a little artsy with the nightmare scene, wasn't for me. So those are my lows. Let's just get them off the table, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Then you can roll into your highs or lows. I liked
1: the ending because it was they revisited the fact how Sherlock has invested interest in these stories and how they're presented to the public. So I kind of didn't mind that. And as far as the beginning with the nightmare sequence, I guess that was their way to show how truly mad he was going. That's fair. And I think, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think the men who were playing the shadowed hooded figures, I think those were the men that he was in league with before during the burglary.
2: I think you're absolutely right. So rolling that into a high or a low for you uh, for the episode. What stood out for you for the episode?
1: I am going to go with a high. And that high's name would be Nicholas Clay, a.k.a. Sir Lancelot of one of my favorite movies as a child, Excalibur. And nice. That said, that's, that's all I got.
2: That's all I got. That's I will I got. say he was a handsome dude. He was a, he was a yes, good-looking good fella. Was.
1: I will agree with that.
2: Yeah, he was good, too. He was good in the role. You know, they showed him as he was sort of struggling. Like I said, he was a really good doctor and a really smart guy. He just wasn't a man of means. He needed that leg up. And old dude came in there and was like, I'm going to hook you up, give you the (laughs) the nice, nice equipment. I'm going to give you the sweet address in the right area of town.
1: Yeah, apparently that's the only way you can make it as a physician in that time period and that location.
2: And when they came looking for him, like he was literally like had a Blanket around him and the saddest looking office that could possibly be. But then dude was like, and I get 75% of your cut. You know, I was like, dang, man.
1: Yeah, I thought the 75% was a little much, but he is the one who invested all the money at the beginning. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we could work on like a sliding scale.
2: Maybe. I would mean, be like 50. The I mean, dude's taking care of him. like his personal physician. So I guess my follow up question was Do you think Dr. Trevelyan, I think it was his name, right? Um, Correct. Do you think? He had lodgings in that house, too? Was he staying there? Because if so, then maybe it was worth it. If he had True. A I stay.
1: believe he was, because I think in this, even in the story, I think it says that he took care of everything and provided lodging. Okay. And a avenue into being the physician he wanted to be.
2: All right. That makes a little more sense. I guess 75% is a hefty ransom. But if the guy's giving you lodging, you don't have to pay rent. You don't got to pay uh, the gas bill. The firewood bill, whatever they had back. <laughs> the, the coal bill. I guess maybe it'll work. Probably
1: firewood. Selling firewood on the corner. I don't know. Okay, second round. Pilo what the what you got?
2: I told you we're gonna get my lows out of the way early. Let's get into my highs. I really, really like It's a really strong point of this one. I love it when Holmes goes to a location, starts crawling around, looking at a bunch of little weird things, and then puts the puzzle together for everybody right there in front of him. Like A to B to C to D, that was really on display in this episode. And I thought that was super cool.
1: I like that as well. But sometimes I'm like, what is he looking at? I need him to explain it as he's looking at it. Because some <laughs> of the time I'm like, I don't know what he sees.
2: Well, that's what makes it like a magic show reveal when he's starts doing it all. I loved it. True. So back to you.
1: I just want to touch on again. I love this Holmes-Watson relationship. Especially Watson and the joy the glee that he had on his face in that barbershop oh my <laughs> when he thought he had nailed the thoughts that were in sherlock's head about why he was why he was beating his fingers on that chair arm he just knew he had the answer correct holmes wanted let him believe it for a split second before he then told him you're completely wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> i like how he like completely like deflated of like Completely wrong. But then at the very, very end, he was like, But still, there's a little tree. <laughs> like, just give a little nugget at the very end. So, yeah, no, that opening scene at the barbershop was.
1: I excellent. did. I mean, his face literally was like, he was
2: grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> and then, I loved it. And then it all crashed
1: down. <laughs> like, oh, I was wrong.
2: And then, like I said, even though I thought it was padded at the end, I still like that scene at the end because it kind of comes back, it kind of closes that loop from the beginning. Watson's like, hey, I've got this. This is the title, and Holmes was like, the typical sort of passive aggressive. Holmes like, uh, that's the uh, that's the title you're gonna go with, huh? <laughs> you know, kind of an attitude. Personally, I would have gone with this, and I like how Watson writes it down. He writes a couple of others, and he keeps kind of whispering it to himself. And, I was, and at the end, he's like, yeah, Holmes was right.
1: <laughs> right. He he wanted to be right, and but in the end, he was like, no, oh, Sherlock's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was another really. Really strong episode for both uh, Holmes and Watson. Do you have anything else you need to get off little Pat style out of your notes before we move into scoring?
1: Actually, I think that's all I've got for this episode.
2: All right, then I hand it right back to you again.
1: Is it pipe reveal time again? I believe it is. Let's go over that pipe rating system one more time. On a scale of one to five pipes, five, you loved it. It solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Three, it was all right. Mm -hmm. Two, you did not like it.
2: Mm -mm, mm
1: -mm. One, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. Mm. What about this story, Jared? What rating have you got for this episode?
2: Oh, man, I thought we were going to have a double five episode there for a minute. I'm going to give this one a four just because I just, I did not like that dream sequence at the beginning and, and because it felt padded, but man, it's a strong four that I really like Holmes, both of his trips to the house, because the first one was like, this dude's lying to me. I got no time for your BS. I can't solve your mysteries if you don't tell me the truth. I'm out. And then the second time he did the whole very Holmes go around the room, solve everything thing, which I thought was super cool. So those parts I like the five, but sort of the, the padding and a little bit of the artsiness and and fair warning, Kathy. I remember there's gonna be a couple more sort of artsy episodes like this in the future that are even artsier than this that I feel like they detract. Those will always be minuses for me. In the end, it's a four. What about you?
1: Because of Mr. Nicholas Clay. I'm gonna give it a five. I did not have a problem with the nightmare scene. It intrigued me, I guess, because it was a little different. And with the added bonus of Nicholas Clay. The gleeful joy on Watson's face brings (laughs) me gleeful joy. So I'm going to give this episode a five as well.
2: I respect it. I really do. Before we ride off in our handsome cap for this episode, let's thank the Crusaders Club members who helped pay the rent here at 221B. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content, and so much more. So here are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. Angelica Wolf. Oh. Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robison. Dave Collins, you know him as the Battlewagon.
1: Battlewagon. Ezra Gallo.
2: Gary Viola.
1: Gene Hendricks.
2: Gerald Green.
1: Jason Keane. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman I hope you like Jim Jarman too
2: Joe Thomas
1: Dr. John Watson
2: Josh Strickland
1: Candace Ward
2: Captivating Kathy Bright, the MVP
1: Hey, I know her Mark Ross, a.k.a. Cluck Trent
2: Maxwell Traver
1: Michael Wagner
2: Miranda W P.D. Devins Paul Hicks Rick of Jeff and Rick Presents Rob Morgan Ryan Daly Samantha Maney.
1: Sean Urbanski Spidey67 Steve Cronin Tim Price Tony Pennington
2: and the Toronto Cop If we miss you on the list, we apologize. Just remember, we record these well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we will add you soon. But no worries. If we missed you, just send an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and Pat will get everything squared away. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by going to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Offer not available in all areas, especially for Jason. We encourage you to come check it out. We put that money back into you guys. We send you gifts, raffle entries. We upgrade our technology with that. Everything, every penny goes back into the show, with the exception of the money that Kathy spent on the life-size cardboard cutout of Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, please.
1: Well, that will wrap up these two stories. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with the originals or the Granada adaptations. If you would like to contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, please do so at Longbox Crusade. Our email is contact at longboxcrusade.com. The phone number, Jared? 707-532-5269. That's
2: 707 532 box. Pick Pick up up the phone. phone. If you want to chat with me personally, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all at Yard Sale Artist. If you want to check out my artwares, it's at www.TheYardSaleArtist.com. And I do have several Sherlock Holmes book page sketch offerings to include the Jeremy Brett version. So maybe check it out. What about you, Kathy?
1: If you want to chat with me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at aukathy. 2418 and that's Kathy with a K.
2: As a reminder, we use the website arthurconandoyle.com for a lot of these synopsis readings. It is a great website with tons of information about all things Sherlock Holmes. We can't recommend it enough, so check out that website.
1: Be sure to join us next quarter as we take a look at The Red-Headed League and The Final Problem.
2: We'll see you guys then. Bye. Outtakes. Get ready. Get your energy up. Let's go. Let's go. I need five pounds of peppy and a three pound set. Up.
1: That's my everyday life.
2: Pep 10 it up. pounds in a pep it, up. <laughs> pep it up.
1: Hello. Wrong. That's a, that's Do it
2: again. Just... <laughs> What's your first thought on the Norwood Builder? You feeling high? You feeling low? What you got? You better shut that paper up. <laughs> there we go. I'm certain that won't appear in the outtakes. <laughs> What? Do Do not not read. read. Seriously. (laughs) We did the same joke at the same time. We did.